0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 25, Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. It is December 6th, 2017. We are coming to you from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I am Michael Elkins. I am here with my co-host, Jeff Kamanetsky. Jeff, how are you
1: tonight? I am doing well, man. How are you doing? How was your week?
0: Uh, My week was good. Uh, Very busy with um, a number of projects. I've got a big big trial coming up um at the end of january so there's a lot happening between now and then and i'm working on um putting together an angel syndicate for investment into a technology company so i have got a lot of balls in the air to say the least good (laughs) how about you
1: good busy just busy at work and uh end of the year usually slow for me but it's it's been pretty good and um Excited to have my daughters coming home soon from law school in about a week, uh, so that's going to be a good time. Good time. That is exciting.
0: Awesome. And for everybody's benefit, if this is your first time listening to the show, Jeff and I are both lawyers here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I practice primarily labor and employment law. Jeff, what do you practice?
1: Well, I'm an intellectual property attorney, mostly patents, uh, copyrights, trademarks, that kind of stuff.
0: Uh, very good, very good. So we're going to try to weave. Some of that into the show. We haven't done that in the past, but uh, we're trying to give you guys a little insight into what we do personally. Um, We'll talk about some of the fun things that we do as as the episodes go on. It's been a little crazy, I think, for both of us in the law practice world. Uh, So let's get to some sports. We've got a great show tonight. Um, Ellis Hobbs is going to be joining us. We've also got a surprise guest that will be coming in with Ellis, but we're going to save that for later. Um, So keep listening for that. We're going to talk a little college football, talk about the playoff. Some coaching moves, and we'll get into some NFL stuff. Um, lots happening with the Giants and Ben McAdoo and their general manager. And uh, we'll touch base with Ellis on the Patriots and what's going on generally in the NFL. So first, let's do uh, this day in sports.
1: Yeah, let's do that. Let's a good—we're uh, going to be talking some college football. So uh, let's get this day in sports, 1975. Special thing happened on that day. It was in a Heisman Trophy award to— what player? He was the second Heisman Trophy winner. He's the only guy ever to have two Heisman Trophy Awards. Archie Manning. Uh well you got the first part right, so it was Archie Griffin.
0: Archie Griffin, <laughs> my bad. Archie won in Heisman though, didn't he? Uh
1: who? Manning? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Uh that sounds right. I know. Archie he, Griffin, Ohio State. Ar- Ar- Ohio State running back. Uh, yeah. Not a, not a very big guy. He won it in seventy four, won it in seventy five. Uh, drafted by the Bengals and had a okay NFL career. Not as good as people thought, but not that bad. Um, wasn't that long of a career, but he, he did okay. But it was uh, two-time, back-to-back, 74-75. So no one's won two Heismans before or since. And uh, although this year, let me tell you, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about uh, what you're thinking about Heisman for this year, but we may have a repeat winner not year. a chance. Well, no yeah. way. But he to me is the best. Not co- a chance. He's the best college player.
0: Oh, who's, I don't he, agree he, at all.
1: He's, who's better than he is?
0: Baker Mayfield. He's not better. Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson a freak. Is tremendous. He's a freak athletically. Can't read a defense. Doesn't throw accurately. Misses a lot of passes. Uh, he can yeah. run, look but at that's the about it. Look now, at the m- I, don't look many, look at I don't care. Touchdowns. Look I don't care. Look at what happens when the draft comes around and when the voting for the Heisman happens. He's not even—I don't even think he's I, in the finals. I don't even think he's one of the finals.
1: Yes, he is. He is. He's not, not gonna a chance. Win it. He's not, not gonna a win chance because Mayfield's going to win it. And my but understanding is he
0: he doesn't do well between the ears either. That it's well, he, he, he's able last, to. He, 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 I understand won it that
1: last year, and he's the same player, and he has just as good a season. He's tremendous. Yeah, he's, I, I understand, understand that. that. I, I just off the charts. Yeah, well, it's, I know. it's okay. all skewed. Yeah, Mayfield's. He's like
0: Lawrence Phillips. It's kind of the same thing.
1: Dude, this guy threw 25 touchdowns and he ran for 17.
0: Right, but he probably will throw four touchdowns in the National Football League is my point. He's a freak athletically. He can run fast. I know. I
1: know. He's, I understand a freak. that. He's a
0: freak. I, I don't think he's the – I think Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback.
1: Uh, Possibly a better all-around pocket – yeah, I, I mean, just – I don't know. Jackson's a freak. He won it last year. He is in the running again this year. He won't win it. Everybody loves Mayfield. I love Mayfield. He's a great quarterback, and he plays for a really good team in the Cardinals. Louisville Cardinals didn't have a good year. So, But I'm just saying, if there was ever a year, this guy, he certainly has the numbers to back it up.
0: Uh, I suppose. I suppose. Um, so let's get into the college football playoff. Speaking of predictions, um, as I predicted, Alabama would get in, and they did. Um, Ohio State's out. So we have Clemson, Alabama in the first round georgia versus oklahoma what do you think about bama and ohio state out
1: uh i guess that's the right decision uh Bama's is probably the better team i thought the committee would go with the big 10 at least i thought they might and um I you know i don't know.
0: think there was a big 10 team in last year by the way i don't think uh, a big 10 team made the playoffs last state. year oh ohio, ohio state that's but right. they weren't the big were they the big 10 champion
1: they I think there was that snafu with Penn State. That's right. And and Ohio State got in instead of Penn State, and then Ohio State got their ass kicked by Clemson in the in the semifinals, right? right? But
0: Penn State won the Big 10 championship. Yeah, so right.
1: right. And so they just yeah. No, I think it was all right. In fact, I think Alabama's a better team. So I just I just was wondering what they were going to do. I think Alabama's really good. I think that they're going to give uh I think they're going to beat Clemson actually in the semifinal. I think they're going to they're going to get their enact their revenge. This year from last year's championship loss, but I'll tell you the game. I was surprised. I was surprised on Georgia, whipping up on Auburn. Um, I didn't think that would happen.
0: Yeah, not only did they beat them, they beat them pretty badly.
1: They beat them really with a with a true freshman quarterback and a really good running game. But that that Georgia Oklahoma game, I mean, what do you think? That's going to be that's going to be pretty darn interesting. That, that is a, I don't have to toss up. I don't know who's going to take that game.
0: Yeah, I think the problem is if you're looking at Oklahoma, you have to wonder how's their defense going to do against an SEC school. They don't play a lot of defense in the big 12 Oklahoma, when their defense plays is really good. When their defense doesn't play, it could be a problem. And and I don't think Baker Mayfield or that Oklahoma offense has played against a defense like Georgia, you know, Georgia's got a good defense. The sec is a really can be a tough conference. At least the West is. I don't think the East is much to talk about. I've, I've been on record with that pretty clear, but um yeah I I think it'll be interesting to see how Mayfield does against an SEC defense. Very interesting. For sure. Um I think Alabama-Clemson is interesting because Nick Saban has had how long now to prepare for Clemson? Yeah. A year?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's going to he's pissed, he's got him prepared. This is yeah. probably the this is the team that they all everybody all the players in Alabama want Clemson because they want they want to beat them. And this is their Yeah. Chance.
0: I mean, it's, it's Alabama Clemson part three, which I'm excited about. I wish it was for the national championship, but this is good enough. Um, I think, obviously, the committee made the right decision with Alabama. And frankly, I don't even think it was a close call. I don't know how you would put a two loss Ohio State team in that had a 30 point blowout to Iowa. I, I'm just, I'm sorry. And it doesn't make sense to me. I've been following on Twitter. Ohio State fans think this was the end of college football, that this was a huge mistake. Am I missing something here? Uh, how would, a, how, how would Ohio State? They have two it's, losses.
1: That's not, not a huge mistake. I th- I thought it was it was more of a possibility than you did because of their just because of their conference deference to a conference, conference champion. But if you're going for the better team, uh, Alabama has to be chosen, right? Because they had one loss to an Auburn team, which eventually dipped down a little bit. A three loss Auburn team. But you're right, Iowa's shellacking of uh ohio state and oklahoma beat them up pretty bad too right so yeah, yeah two, two losses and you know what they beat wisconsin and they didn't like kill wisconsin wisconsin is kind of uh they're a good team but you know i, I thought ohio state would probably walk all over them and they didn't so if they had a, any chance if Ohio state wanted to get in maybe they should have destroyed that they would have destroyed yeah wisconsin and they just didn't I, do it i mean i just
0: i think the committee never respected wisconsin because it took even though Wisconsin was undefeated, they were not in the playoff until the very last week of the season, and they were number four behind all one-loss teams. So yeah. I-, I think the committee didn't view them as a tough team or at least a, a, you know that as a great victory. And what I forgot last week when we talked and we did the show but was pointed out to me over the weekend was that they left the Big Ten champ out last year. So it's hard to say that they have this great – reverence for conference champions which was another conversation i saw on twitter the idea that now the conference championship is meaningless i don't i don't Uh, see that i think georgia would beg to differ right and auburn as well right
1: (laughs) well yeah so if georgia didn't win the sec would they have gotten in no i mean no right because there's there would have been a two-loss team there would have been a two-loss team and alabama would have got in. but um I, I don't know, but I know that they do give deference to conference champion, and it all depends. Uh, how much does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, is it a, is it an automatic playoff? No, uh, because there's only four teams, and there's and there's there's some there's five com- power conference and there's five power conference, right? So unless they go to eight teams, which you know what I've heard that people. Telling that uh, to me all the time. Let's go to eight teams for the playoff, but there'll still be controversy over eight, nine, ten. You know, there's going to be nine and ten left off, just like there's five and six left off. There's always going to be some. As long as you have this, where there's a lot of subjective voting, and you're going to have arguments. That's the way it's going to be.
0: And I like the I I like the four. I I I mean, I don't think um, Ohio State deserves to be in, nor Auburn for that matter. I like that if you go to eight, I think you're going to devalue the regular season. If we were at Take this weekend, this past weekend. If we were had an eight team playoff, none of these games would have mattered all that much. Right. They would have been playing for seeding, not to get in. The Ohio State Wisconsin game would have been relatively meaningless. Both teams would have been in. The Georgia Auburn game would have been meaningless. Right. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, as long as they're going to do this and they, it, there's going to be some subjective, you know, nature to this whole thing anyway, um, I, I'm fine with four. I think it's good. I think it's a good. It makes a good competition. in The top four teams uh, in the country it maybe dilutes it a little bit if you start adding some teams. Yeah, it, it adds extra weeks and and uh, all the mess that that creates. So I think it's fine <laughs> the way it is. And every year there's there's likely to be controversy, just like, just like this year. To some, you know, to I, some I mean, I,
0: I suppose they could go to six and give one and two a bye. That might be interesting. But uh, I still think you devalue yeah. you devalue the regular season. Yeah. And then you have the people from from UCF screaming that they should be in the championship.
1: Well, of course they they shouldn't. And, of course, that those guys are going to scream. Because I would scream, too, if I I had that record for that team. They had a tremendous year, tremendous offense. But in the game against Memphis, if you saw it, you know, the top two offenses in the league. I mean, there's not much defense. I don't think they're seriously considering UCF as one of the top teams in the country. But, actually, you don't know until there's an actual game with one of those teams. So, if I was a UCF guy... I'd be probably you know mouthing off too, saying we should be you know we deserve to be in it, but I don't think they do. Yeah,
0: well, they don't have a
1: defense. They don't. Last have, I they, checked, you should have they, one of those. They didn't look like they had any defense at all. And I, they were playing a good Memphis offense, but man, no, they they would have uh, had a lot of trouble with one of the elite teams. I mean, that was a fun game to
0: watch in some respects, but in in in, in other respects, it was. I don't know, it wasn't boring but I felt like every time a team touched the ball they were going to score. score. It was yeah. like watching Madden.
1: Yeah. That's really That's, what it was. No, it's um, right. I mean I've that, seen some NFL games like that but this was ridiculous. rarely. This yeah. was different. It was ridiculous. There was no defense. There was a lot None. of missed a lot of missed tackles and you're right it was basically who had the ball last, you know.
0: Yeah, and and it was it was fun in some ways. I mean the over under on that game I think was like 80 81, something like that and they, they blew that out of the water. Yeah. Um But good for UCF undefeated season. I think they're in the Peach Bowl. Could be mistaken about that. I thought it was the Peach Bowl. Uh, Scott Frost to Nebraska.
1: That's right. Not
0: not a big secret there. Um, And that leads us to the second part of college football, which is some coaching changes that happened since our last show, and some of it relative to you with two kids who are alums from Florida State. Uh, Jimbo Fisher leaves to Texas A&M. We'll talk about that in a second. And you got Willie Taggart from Oregon, Oregon for right. one year Oregon for one year and University of South Florida my alma mater before that so what are your thoughts on Taggart
1: I you know I had to look up a lot of his background to see I I think he did you know he turned a uh, he did he's pretty good in Oregon only one year there I heard he's a very good uh uh recruiter uh and he's pretty good at quarterbacks um you know I what so it looks like he inherited a pretty lousy South Florida team I think 3 and 9 going into 2013. Um, I've heard good things. I heard, heard you know he's not gonna. It's not like he's got to go to Florida State and do a major um, renovation there. They have a lot of talent there. Um, they just didn't have all the pieces. They didn't have a quarterback this year. Um, I uh, look. I'm not. I'm surprised that it was a really fast turnaround. But the more I thought about it, Florida State needed to get a coach in there because. They were losing recruits. The they guys were jumping. Uh, I heard like three jumped to Miami. They needed to get a replacement from Jimbo really fast, and they did it really fast. I thought they would maybe interview a few more, but I think they had their eye on Taggart for a while. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know uh, what he's going to do with, with, with Florida State, but I'm, I'm happy they got a coach. He's got a pretty good track record. And I hope they just start recruiting well again and uh, fill in the misses, m- missing pieces. But he's going to a team that's got a lot of talent with a quarterback coming back. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good.
0: What do your daughters think about the move?
1: They love Jimbo because that's all they knew. Um, they were there during the you know the heyday. Uh, Jameis and Jimbo, they won a national championship. So they were upset that Jimbo left. Uh, they would heard rumors he was going, and that's all they knew. So they're going to have to get used to, just like all the other fans, a brand-new co- uh, a coach, head coach, and um, kind of maybe a, maybe a different philosophy. But uh, no, everyone's upset that I know. And, and, you know, seeing Jimbo put on a Texas A&M jacket over the weekend, that was hard to see.
0: Which brings us to the next part of this, which is Jimbo to Texas A&M, 10 years, $75 million. I think he is – close to the highest paid coach I mean maybe Nick Saban maybe Nick Sabin gets nine Urban Meyer and Harbaugh might be right up there too but he's, it's one of the top Am with um, apparently from all reports the best facilities in all of college football all that Texas money big huge alumni base putting money up um, thoughts on Jimbo to Texas Am um,
1: good for Jimbo uh, they offered him a lot of money. Um, he's leaving. I me mean, yeah, you can't. Oh, you can't turn it I down. Mean, I mean, how can you turn it down? And and you know, he's he's been loyal to the school for a long time. Coaches leave. Sometimes they come. I mean, they 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 leave. It's it, there's a history of it. So yeah, I was initially pissed, but um, what are you going to do? He's he's doing what's best for him, which is basically what people do. And he's going to inherit a pretty good, like you said, a very strong program there. Um, I think he's going to be a, a good coach for them. I you know. It, things change so I'm happy for Jimbo I'm, I'm upset he's leaving but things cannot remain the same and um FSU's got a fresh start Texas AM's gonna have a fresh start with it with a new coach I think it's exciting and we'll see how they do next year
0: yeah I think um Fish will make a huge difference at Texas A M. He's you know obviously great recruiter he's gonna be able to recruit um in That Texas landscape, which is fertile ground, and he doesn't have
1: just like Florida was,
0: yeah, yeah, just like Florida was, and he did a great job there. He doesn't, and he doesn't have the competition in Texas that he had in Florida. Unfortunately, for Texas Longhorn fans, that program still Ooh. really hasn't recovered, yeah. um, and Texas A&M, I suspect, senses that or knows that, obviously, and that's why they 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 went and basically rolled the cash up to Jimbo. That's um a
1: serious coin, isn't that man? Yeah, I find million.
0: I find it interesting from Florida State fans who are furious that he left. I understand, or furious at him for leaving. I understand you're upset that your coach left. I get that. To be mad at him, I think, is ridiculous. Seventy-five million dollars. He couldn't. That's an offer you can't refuse. No, you have can't. to take that. You have to. Yeah. And they weren't asking him to go to FAU. I mean, it's Texas A&M. It's the SEC. I mean, right. you got to go. Right.
1: No, I, I don't blame him. It's sad. It's the end of a, an era, but it's time to start a new one. Yeah. So
0: I'm Exciting stuff in college football. Lots to look forward to with uh, that playoff. Before we get to the NFL, just want to remind everybody that you can follow the show on Facebook at JM Sports Podcast. Email us, jmsportspodcast at com. Follow me on Instagram at Melkins1 and Twitter at Melkins31175. We are continually, we are starting to now ask if you want to ask us questions on Twitter, and uh, tonight we've got some of those, which we're going to get to later in the show, so make sure you tweet at us and let us know what you want to talk about. Uh, let's segue into the National Football League. Big news for your Giants.
1: Mike, I, I, before we head to the National Football I was going to give you some quick baseball news. Yeah, um, go ahead. This is what's going on in the winter meetings. Yeah. <laughs> well, I <laughs> haven't started yet. That, that was it. They, they haven't, been, have they started? Nothing. No, actually, but but even before winter meetings, which is next week, there's usually something going on. There's some kind of trades. There's been zero. Why? Everyone's waiting for.
2: Well, Gene Stanton, Carlo,
1: Gene Carlos Stanton to sign with probably the Giants or the Cardinals. But next week, starting next week, that's when it all hits. But usually by now there's something. So there's been zero in baseball. If there, well, was, believe, there is the we would have told you
0: except the, uh, there, the New York Yankees. Well, no, there. Well, yeah, Aaron Boone. Interesting. Aaron Boone.
1: Very interesting,
0: Aaron Bleeping Boone. If you're from Aaron New Boone. England,
1: let me ask you what you think about that. Because I mean, the guys, uh, I I, I, know I like you it. Probably, you like it, but the guys never managed yeah. a game in his
0: life. I have no problem. I like when they when teams hire managers or coaches in the NFL, for that matter, that have never coached. Look, the Cardinals hired Matheny. He never managed a game in his life, and he's got a World Series. So um, I like it. The only thing, well, let me let me rephrase that. I don't care if he's never managed. I hate when teams just retread the same old same old. Um, so I like that. The problem with this one is I don't even know if it's a problem. Maybe it's a good thing cuz they're thinking outside the box. He hasn't been in baseball. He's been in the media. He's he's been in a in a in a booth calling games. That's very very different than being, you know, either in a minor league system or a bench coach. You know, Alex Cora for the Red Sox never managed before, but he's been a bench coach. So he's been involved in that decision-making process. He's been involved in dealing with players, you know, getting them ready for games, managing a spring training um, season, that type of thing. So from that aspect, I think it's interesting that they picked him. Look, I've always trusted Brian Cashman. I think he does a really great job and doesn't get a lot of credit. So we'll see. I, I don't care that he's never managed. I don't think it's the death knell either. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. That's, I, I, I get that. I just think there's so much pressure on going to be on this guy. Here's a team that almost made, almost made it to the uh, World Series. He's stepping in for the first time. I think he's going to be scrutinized. He's, he's, he's following a very good manager, uh, Joe Girardi, who's kind of left on. Uh, kinda, I'm not going to say he's run out of town. I'm surprised that they just let him go. They were so close to a championship. I'm just saying Aaron Boone's going to have a lot of pressure on him, every move he makes. And for a guy that's never been in that situation, I just think it's going to be very, very tough on him.
0: I, I think th- that comes with anybody though. Um it's New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the Yankees. Yeah. So I think that yeah. that that comes with anyone.
1: But he might have, but, but he's got nothing to fall back on It's because he's never done this before. That's what right. I'm thinking. Right.
0: Yeah. I think the other news that I've been seeing it's the it's the two-way player from Japan. Yep. Whose yep. name o- I o- I o- wish Tani. I could Thank you. O- the he, o- Tani. Now, this is kind of an interesting conversation. We hadn't planned to get into this, but I'm glad we're talking about it. He did an interesting thing. He told all 32 teams to go ahead and send him a proposal as to why they're the best fit for him. No one's ever done that before, which I think is really cool, by the way. Very smart of his representatives. And then he took the proposals, I think, and narrowed it down to like seven or nine teams and just cut people right off the top without even meeting with them.
1: I like it. Yeah, I like it, but I think I know why it was Don or why his people did it because this is a really unique player, right? He's he's a He, he wanted to hear proposals because the guy is a top-quality pitcher and hitter, and he wanted to hear the plan that team – but this is unusual, right? You don't hear this. If, if he's a pitcher, what plan do you need? He's pitching every five days. If he's a hitter, he's going to be in the lineup every day. Uh, this is a guy who wants to do both. So when he's not pitching – he, he's going to be in the outfield. He's that good of a hitter. So American League teams are going to uh, come up with a proposal, right? When he's not pitching, well, I guess they did. D, right, DH. Uh, nationally, teams can't DH, although they'll DH in the uh, in the um, inner league in league games. But they want a proposal. What position is he going to play? Is w- w- which corner outfield? What is he going to play when he's not pitching? Is he going to play every day? that 's what this guy wanted to hear because he's a unique player that 's why I think he wanted a proposal and you're right he got it from all the teams and now he's weeded out all but seven and I'm hearing things like Seattle Texas, and the Cubs and maybe one or two other West Coast teams all the rest the Dodgers all the rest are gone yeah, all oh, the rest are I thought gone. the Dodgers were in it uh yeah I'm saying yeah maybe one or more yeah maybe I not mean, the other West Coast team, but I think it's Seattle maybe the Dodgers Texas Texas has a good chance and somehow the Cubs are in that mix too but yeah this guy's supposed to be the real deal but you know let's see what happens in major leagues in the major leagues
0: no no surprise with um seattle given the ownership group there and of course Ichiro's success i think part of the proposals was cultural assimilation no surprise with the cubs you got to think that theo has probably drilled down um analytically how this would all work i'm I'm sure theo's proposal was charts graphs and algorithms
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm I'm curious to see where this guy lands and how he does.
0: All right. Enough of you avoiding. I know what you've been doing. You're just, you're trying to deflect from the (laughs) real conversation. All right. So, well, isn't this a good thing? Look, so for everybody listening, the Giants, yeah, the Giants fired their coach, Ben McAdoo, and they fired the GM, Jerry Reese. So now the question is, what do you do? So Mara, John Mara has come out and said, they're going to hire a GM and it's going to run top down that way. Now, that sounds great. So I was listening to Michael Lombardi on the Ringer podcast this morning. Lombardi, I you know, was the GM for the Browns for a while, he was he's a he's a confidant and advisor, or was at least to Bill Belichick. Spent four years in the Patriots organization too. By the way, um, in fact, he does a little special on his podcast with every team. What would their record be if Bill Belichick was their coach? Which I think is funny. And he has the Chargers, by the way, undefeated if Bill Belichick was their <laughs> coach. Um, so. Um, Yeah, it's kind of hysterical. Lombardi says this is a mistake by the Giants, that the way to structure a team is you got to have – you can't have the GM telling the coach who the players are going to be. It's got to be the other way around. It's got to be the coach first, and then whatever the coach's philosophy is, it's up to the GM to go get the players that fit that system, that scheme, that philosophy, whatever it is. So I think that's interesting. Names being floated around, Josh McDaniels from the Patriots, Nick Casario, um, the Patriots player personnel guy. I think uh, Dan – I want to say Campo, but that's not his name. He was with the Chiefs for a while. He was the GM there. Um, he's not there anymore. A couple other, couple other names have been floated. So what do you think? It's your Giants. What's the situation?
1: Well, well, I'm feeling a hell of a lot better now than I did a week ago, right? Uh, when we Well, we kind of didn't know when McAdoo was going to – last the season, and and they're announcing this Sunday during the Giant game. They're basically saying McAdoo's going to be fired sometime the next day. So, I mean, a week ago, the team was still terrible. Um, I had had no idea that McAdoo was going to be moving. I thought we'd have to deal with him for the rest of the year. So I'm I'm okay with it. Um, It came. It went. uh, We're starting to clear house, and I'm happy, and all my Giant friends are happy that finally uh, this is happening. Now, Eli's starting again, so that makes me think, you know, what's going on here? It, it made it sound like McAdoo and Reese were the reasons that Eli sat, but I, what I had understood, is that it that came from above, and the owners wanted to change something to change and sat Eli. So Eli starting again. So it's a very bizarre. One Geno Smith game. I, I mean, that was really weird. But I'm happy, and I'm happy that the Giants are going to start doing something proactive rather than resting on their laurels like they did last uh, this year. From a uh, kind of an illusion last year. Uh, in the playoffs and they didn't change their team. They rested on their laurels and that was, the, that was their mistake. So I'm um, uh, Josh McDaniels, anybody from New England I would take to be honest, um, but they're doing the right thing and they're going to look for GM, they're going to try to build it. And uh, I don't know what Eli's future is. you know somebody asked John Gruden whether it was kiddingly or not whether he'd coached the Giants and the answer was something along the lines that yeah, if they keep Eli Manning, I'd consider it. Um, so I don't know what, what's going to happen with Manning. If they draft a quarterback high this year, a really good quarterback, maybe Darno or Rosen, and maybe Manning will stay for two years while that guy sits on the bench, and that'll be the transition. Or they go after a quarterback who's already out there. I've heard somebody throw out the name Jimmy Garoppolo. That's your guy. Um, who, Jimmy who G, if big Josh, win. Yeah, Josh, we'll talk about that in a second, man, because I know you're going to hit me with that. <laughs> uh, J- Josh McDaniels that team up with Garoppolo. I, look, well, look that's... I'd be That'd dumb be serious if said, I'd be dumb if I said that 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 wasn't a pretty cool combo. So, I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling the Giants are finally taking some positive proactive steps. So, that's how I feel. I'm uh, I'm better than it was a few days ago, that's for
0: sure. You know, as much as I wouldn't want to see um Josh McDaniel's go, he's going. I think that you know, he was very very close to taking the San Francisco 49ers job. They interviewed McDaniel's and Nick Casario as a package deal. Um I have my dog, by the way, literally sticking her nose in the microphone, or trying to, anyway. Hey, Mac. Um, <laughs> I, took her, I took her collar off, but she's still whacking her tail. You can hear you know, her feet pattering and her snorting, probably. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to football. So McDaniels and Casario were very close to jumping to San Francisco. I guess they didn't like the ownership group there. Um, wonder what McDaniels thinks about that now that Garoppolo's in San Francisco, you guys would be very well served with Josh McDaniels and Nick Casario. I, really, the the key is Nick Casario. Belichick has been effusive times a million about Casario and what he does for the Patriots and how valuable he is. And that's really the one that I hope doesn't leave New England. Frankly, mm-hmm. um, I think that would be a big blow to to New England. Casario's been there for a long, long time and does a lot a lot more than, according to Belichick, more than any other front office personnel person in the NFL. And there's a lot of footage of Casario on the practice field every week. He's in the box during the game, like handling game day duties, including, you know, alerting offense and defense as to personnel groupings and talking to Belichick about what they should do in in play calling, which no other GM in the league does. So if you guys land Casario, that's a big win. Absolutely. I'd
1: be happy. And like I said, anybody from the Patriots would be welcome. Um, but they got to have a plan. they got to think about their quarterback, and that is the key. But I'm feeling, I'm feeling good, and I'm hoping the off season is going to bring some good news, if not earlier, as to their replacements, these two guys. And uh, it's, it's a lesson for the Giants. Uh, you, can't, you can't just sit back and, and, and think everything is going to be good. You, you, have to, you have to have some practical uh, foresight as to what's going on in the NFL and with your team. So they learned a hard lesson.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go over our picks, and then we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll bring in Ellis Hobbs and our um, surprise guest. So we both, again, went two and one. I'm yeah. telling you, we need to – so check this out. We need to put some money down. Our records are – you're 19 and 11. I am 19, 10, and one. Do you know how good that is thin. against That's, the spread?
1: Well, what's the average? What's the – I don't know. That's Like 500. Thin, yeah, a little. I mean, no,
0: the average is the average is around five hundred, maybe a little bit more.
1: I'm serious. I know we're doing good.
0: No, we're doing amazing.
1: So uh, again,
0: not and again, everybody, we're picking against the spread. We're not just picking the games.
1: That's yeah, crazy. Not, yeah, we're not even making any cash from this. We're, 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 just trying to beat, <laughs> we're just trying to beat each other. That's that's all we're doing. Um,
0: and we're not doing that. We're, we're we're basically even. I don't know how okay. the percentages shake out. I guess 19 and 10 and 1 is a percentage point really? better, maybe. I, mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basi- like- I mean, I think we're even, ultimately. Um, so the two wins I had, I had San Francisco plus 4.5, Jimmy G.,
1: Game winning drive. God, wait!
0: Just let me get it. Game winning drive. Had a really had a really good game. Threw one interception, but otherwise had good command of the offense. Led the team down in the last um, four. I think in the last forty five seconds for a game winning touchdown at Chicago. uh,
1: Game winning field
0: goal. Game winning field goal. All right, fine. Well, semantics. No, he threw a touchdown. touchdown. No, he threw a touchdown. No, he didn't. He did not. Five field goals. Oh well, hey, a win's a win. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) He had a nice day. He had, he had a nice a, day. He had
1: a nice day. Let's let's. He, had, he
0: didn't throw. The, all right. He didn't throw four touchdowns like I said. He didn't
1: throw one. <laughs> touchdown. Or he, or didn't, he didn't lead his team through a touchdown against the Bears.
0: But you know but, what? Okay. Let me let me tell you they this. Got, the, they got the W. That's the Forty Niners had no wins, no wins this season before Jimmy Garoppolo, and in the two games he's played, they have two wins.
1: So what did he do on the bench on the game he didn't play? What, what was he serving? uh uh, coffee to the uh, to to the starting quarterback. I mean, what influence did, uh, did he had when he was sitting on the bench? The first win,
0: he didn't. He led them he down. Remember, he scored the the touchdown the, at the. Oh no, they had one win before he got there. That's yeah, right, yeah, yeah. he had one win. Okay. No,
1: no. He. I watched so, the game. I was curious, and um, he look, looked he's, good. He's better than Bethard, and they're going to stick with him. And I think he's only going to get better. Look, he could. Yeah, be Giants. he's a good he could, quarterback. He could be the Giants' quarterback next year.
0: Yeah, he. You'd be everyone. I think anyone would happy happy to have Jimmy G. Yeah. Um. I won the Minnesota game. I had them plus two and a half. Lost the Buffalo Patriots game. Um, yeah, why do you,
1: Why do you continue to to bet against? Because
0: the lines are big. The lines are big. And, Eight and, and a half is a big and number. you're Doing
1: it again this week.
0: I am. Yeah, ten and a half is a big number. Eight and a half is a big number at Buffalo. Their Hogan was out. They They were down to a third left tackle. Um, they got the center back, but they, you know they're banged up. And look, Buffalo is a tough place to play. Uh, yeah. They had a nice win at Kansas City before playing New England. Really, no idea how McDermott would attack the Patriots. Um, so I, I, I took the eight and a half. I felt confident New England New England would win the game, but I also felt confident Buffalo might score some garbage. Touched a garbage touchdown here, garbage field goal touchdown. But I didn't. Who knew Tyrod Taylor would get hurt on the first yeah. play? We'll get into the Buffalo game with Ellis. Um, So, yeah, and I'm taking the Dolphins this week. Ten and a half, that's too many points, especially in Miami. You went two and one. Yeah, exactly. Um, And Gronk's out. You had Seattle plus five and a half. Good call. You had the Packers, which was even. Good win. And then you had Oakland. um, (laughs) Oakland won, but you gave eight and a half, and you lost by by a – Yeah, they won by seven. So that's a tough one. But, look, we've consistently been going two and one. We've got a few three and O's in there. But for the most part, we are – we're killing it.
2: If any everyone. gamblers
0: are listening to our show, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should. Maybe that's maybe that's what we should be doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, we should be heading to Vegas or something. Uh, real quick, you know, there's some good games this weekend. real, real quick. Saints, well, Falcons. Right. Well, let's good. let's get our yeah, picks in. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, so let's let's. I was going to talk about all the games, but we can talk about. Uh, I mean, the uh, big games, but the picks okay. This week, I mean, just real quick, uh, just games that are on the radar: Falcons, Saints, right? Big game. Falcons took a tough loss last week. Saints are rolling. That is a. Playoff spot uh, up for grabs there. That's a really good game. Um, Raiders Chiefs, believe it or not, as two six and six teams, but they are fighting for first place in the AFC West. Uh, the reeling Chiefs and the Raiders, who are starting to play a little bit better, uh, so they're six and six. But a big game. And Vikings and the Panthers. Uh, the Vikings just don't seem to lose. Um, they got to go into Carolina, who is uh, coming off a loss, right? And um, yes, that is that is going to be another big divisional game. Um, and the final games are, I mean, Eagles, Rams, to me, and and Seattle Jaguars, and Ravens, Steelers. They're all good. Watch out for the, uh, the Ravens, who I start starting to like because they're starting their offense is starting to get better. But Eagles, Rams is a really big game, and that might be uh, a segue because I think he, do you have one of those teams? You do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do actually. I've got the Rams plus the two and a half. I think, and and I'm gonna. Here's my point. I love the Rams. Love McVeigh. Love Goff. That's no secret. I think we're seeing the, a little bit of a downslide for the Eagles now. I'm not ready to anoint them. I think the Rams are the best team in the NFC. I thought the Eagles would get beat um, in Seattle. They did. And that's not the end of the world. Tough place to play. I had to travel all the way west. But you're going to see the Eagles slip a little bit. Um, that doesn't mean the sky is falling. I just think they're going to slip a little. They'll probably end up a three seed. So I got the Rams. I'm taking the Dolphins plus ten and a half. Um New England's going to win the game. Hopefully, Hogan is back. Gronk's out. I don't think it's a problem. Gronk was out for nine it's games Hogan, last year. Hogan's Hogan, Hogan going to be back? We don't know. He practiced. He's practicing. Good. So um, that's a good sign. And um, look, I, I'm not so concerned about Gronk. Like I said, they won a Super Bowl without him. He didn't, play in, he didn't play the last, I think, 10 games last year. So it's not the end of the world. And I've got Jacksonville minus three. Jacksonville, watch out. Mm. Great team. Great defense. By the way, that's where Eli Manning will be next year.
1: Yeah, he could be go back there with Coughlin. I, I Absolutely. I definitely, definitely thought about that. So I've got uh, – what do I have this week? I have the uh, <laughs> I have the Ravens. So the Ravens I like. They're getting seven Plus against the Steelers. Steelers the last two weeks have had to come from behind. Not right? good. The, the Packers. And then this past Monday night down 17 zip against Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, I like Baltimore in that game. They're getting seven. I'm picking my Giants against the hated Cowboys. Uh, Giants would be a lot of emotion in, in the Meadowlands. Um, the Giants are getting, what, six and a half. Yep. Um, I'm telling you, the Giants are going to play well, I think. I think this is going to be a really emotional game. I like the Giants plus those points. And I'm taking the Chargers who are, uh, you, know, you know me, I've been liking the Chargers a lot this year. Um, they are giving six against the Redskins who are reeling. And the Chargers are fighting for the, uh, for the, conf- for the uh, division there. I like San Diego. Um, and in your game, real quick, I'm a big Rams fan, but I think the Eagles are. Gonna, I'm not going to lose two in a row. I think Wentz is going to have a big game on the
0: road. Yeah, I think the Chargers right now are, in terms of teams that can challenge the Patriots. Um, I, I, the Chargers are are good. I know they lost to New England in New England, but if a couple things happen a little differently, even my dog agrees. If a couple things happen a little differently, uh, that game that game could have could have gone the other way. So, uh, good stuff with the Chargers got our picks in we're going to go ahead and take a short break here when we come back uh we'll bring you ellis hobbs jeff and i'll be here and we've got a surprise guest Mackenzie is super excited as everybody can hear uh <laughs> so stick with us everybody we will uh we'll be right back this is sports talk with jeff and mike Okay, everybody, we're back from break. Thanks for sticking with us. And as we have done for the last few weeks, we bring in former New England Patriot and Philadelphia Eagle and 2007 AFC champion Ellis Hobbs. Ellis, how are you tonight?
2: Doing well, my friend. I'm looking out the window, and I believe I see a little snow flurry on the ground here in Atlanta. So uh, (laughs) like I told you guys, I think the bread and water aisles are going to be destroyed tomorrow in the grocery stores. (laughs) People are going to go crazy, huh? Oh, my gosh. It's uh, Snowmageddon 3.
0: Snow in it snow in Atlanta.
2: Who who would have guessed? Yeah. yeah. Not
0: not not quite the normal thing. Um okay, so I'm presuming that you saw the Patriots Bills game this weekend. Um pro- you know, not I don't think a lot to talk about from a gameplay standpoint. A lot of people thought the Patriots would win this game handily. Um was close in the first half and then New England made some adjustments in the second half. I guess I know we didn't talk about this in our pre-production but I guess I'll throw this out there. It was interesting that in the first half New England seemed to struggle offensively with the bills and then in the second half it was completely different. My question to you is this you have been in that locker room with bill and and some of the same guys that are there now Patricia and you McDaniels I think was there when you were there um, what what goes on in that lock in in the locker room between the first half and the second half that changes everything i mean is bill yelling or it what, how does that go down i think everybody sort of wonders that about the patriots
2: yeah it's actually funny that um the same dynamics that are used within that process of halftime i used it with my flag team um we had uh four coaches including myself and so before we would address the team at halftime we would collectively come together and talk about strengths and weaknesses of that first half You know, the good, the bad, the minus, whatever it is. And then we would pretty much separate and go to each group or specific position and discuss everything and talk through it. And then we would collectively come back together at the very end prior to halftime being over and go through a general synopsis of the energy and and what needs to happen to get this game won. With the Patriots, it's very similar to where all the coaches collectively come together from down from the press box. Uh, Bill is hearing everybody's viewpoint. He's taking that in and he's trying to figure out how do we communicate this within a two to three minute conversation? Because, you know, the uh, halftime for the, for the NFL, just professionalism is, is very short. And so after that is done, he talks to us very briefly. I'm sorry. He doesn't talk to us very briefly, but our position coaches uh, talk to us once they separate as, as a group of coaches and we just go through specifically what, game changes or game plan is being changed within the current plan. Meaning that if we're playing a lot of zone, we're going to go to man and here's why. They're beating us on the slants. They're beating us on... You know the uh, the slim post or whatever it is, and so we we talk through all of that, and then the position coach tries to individualize, you know, specific players, saying, "Ellis, you know, uh, last time we got beat on, you're getting beat on the sticks route very, 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 very heavily. We want you to sit on the stick routes. That safety is going to be over 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 top of you to make sure nothing gets taken. Uh, you don't get taken advantage of over top. And so those things happen, and then once that all happens, I uh, would say within, you know, you're talking. Man, maximum six minutes, you know, uh, Bill's bringing everybody back together again. And like I said, for the very end, he's just telling you overall, how are we going to win this game? Meaning, hey, guys, you know, we're not stopping the run on off. We're not stopping the run on defense and we got to establish the run a lot better on offense. Okay, ready, break. And then we're back out there. But more than not, you're not getting a, a dissertation at halftime because, you know, it is what it is. And. I think that's what separates the Patriots because they're able to collectively look at that thing, break it down, rearrange it and get back out there on the field and execute within a a small amount of time. Not to say that every professional team doesn't do that, but I think the Patriots do that better than anybody else.
0: Is Bill, or is there a lot of emotion or is it very straightforward to the point, calm and collected? Because I feel like people have this image of Bill standing up in front of the team and sort of... I mean, he doesn't seem like a very emotional guy at times and maybe ripping people, but I just, I don't get that feel from him. I'm just curious. No, not at all. You
2: you get, you have a very, very calm build. And I think that's actually why it works because it is very hard to not panic when you hear the pilot saying or yelling, don't panic. You know, when, when he's talking very calm and, and he's communicating, we're listening. I think for the most part, when we had new coaches come in, or somebody that wasn't used to the program, in the four uh, the four and a half years that I was there, you know, they start off with that kind of yelling approach because they feel that urgency. But right. then, as they see no one else doing that, they start to calm down and, and really talk through things. I mean, I saw you know graduate assistants during um, you know during the preseason yelling and crazy stuff during halftime, and you know one of the players sometimes has, "Hey, man, you know, calm down. You know, just just talk." just say what you got to say. But Bill's never been that type of guy that he's yelling or had to um you know, I would say getting in anyone uh getting anyone's stuff as far as specifically pointing somebody out. He's just communicating information. I think that's what makes him such an effective coach.
0: That's good insight. Um the big play from that game, of course, was the Rob Gronkowski after the whistle. Yeah. I um, don't WWE style. I I don't know what was happening there. Um clearly after the play I guess you could call it dirty. I don't think Gronkowski is a dirty player. At least there's no history of that, but it wasn't a good look. In fact, Bill even apologized to McDermott after the game. Um, Gronk got a one game suspension. That suspension was upheld. After that, on Monday night football, we had several, what what appeared to be very vicious hits in the um, Bengals Steelers game. So curious on your thoughts on Gronk and these hits overall, what the NFL is doing about them. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about they need to eliminate this stuff. It's not a good look, um, and it appears that players are starting to, you know, use helmets as a weapon, play dirty. What do you think about all that?
2: Um, yeah, let's reverse engine. So, kind of take it from the from the back to the front of that first question. Where, and we can actually use Gronkowski. Where you have these bigger tight ends um, that are playing within the NFL, with the game being pro offense. They want to see scores. Your tight ends are actually getting more involved in the passing game. So you have, you know, Gronkowski's, you have your Jimmy Graham's, you know, you have those type of guys that are that dynamic, that big. Now that the penalties are so severe and the referees are looking at them so closely, how do you explain to a defensive player, you can't hit this guy in a certain way. Meanwhile, your job, your defensive coordinator is getting on you and your job is on the line if you don't make the play, because as a defensive player, <laughs> right. as a defensive player, our job is to separate you from the ball regardless regards to the pass.
0: But as as to Gronk, I know you're obviously you're a defensive player, but as to Gronk, it does seem like he gets called for a lot of OPIs that don't happen. And it certainly happened in that Bills game. I mean, there was an OPI on him. I didn't, it didn't even appear that he touched the, the corner. Um, you think that's as to Gronk, too?
2: Well, when you have a, a guy like Gronk, Gronk who's who's so big, what what happens with a lot of different coaches is before the game, I mean, it, it's a chess match, like I've told you guys before. Sure. The coaches, graduate assistants, whomever it is, are working those referees and making it very known to these guys, like, hey, when we're playing these guys, watch out for this guy, and, and they will – Go through and break down, play after play, not necessarily video, but talk through a play of how this guy consistently is pushing off. That's how he's getting his separation. And you're just working the refs. You're just working anybody who, who will listen so that when that play comes about, they have it in the back of their mind. Like, oh, you know, that's what the coach has said. You know, subconsciously, they're thinking about those things. And so when you have a, a player like Gronkowski, and he, I believe he said this in his interview, where he's just sick and tired of, of certain hits and certain calls not going his way.
0: Well, he had, he had gotten, he- on that play, before he went all WWE, I mean, he was, the the DB was literally pulling his jersey back as right. he was going for the ball, and nothing was called
2: well the, the the game plan and in the, the 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 successful game plan that i've seen and heard with Gronkowski is you have to match him with the physical you yeah. know where you have those bigger corners um that can get on him that can press him that can they can go one on one with him and once you slow down a big guy like that it disrupts the timing of the offense i don't care sure. you know what type of offense you have, it's, it's, it disrupts, you know, he's a fast guy. Don't get me wrong for a tight end, but it's very hard to start and stop for a guy of his nature to be so big. So number uh, number 27, I can't remember his name, but I'm pretty sure going into that game, uh, Sean McDermott, defensive coordinator list, we have to be physical at the line of scrimmage, even down the field, because the more separation you give Gronkowski, the better he's going to be, the better weapon he's going to be. Now, they go back to the dirty hits. Yeah. When you're talking about those safeties that are coming downhill, you know, you, you definitely don't want to take out a player's knees. You don't want to end a career. You don't even want to mess with his legs, but what are the options do you have? If every time you, you try to separate him, um, being a 270 pound guy, you know, a, a, a chest tackle, a above the waist tackle is not going to get it done.
0: Not for Gronk,
2: not for Gronkowski. <laughs> and so, when he's constantly getting hit like that on the knees, on the legs, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. So I would take that, you compound it with him being held, him being uh, you know, physical play down the field, you know, it gets frustrating. Now, all that being said, there's still no room cannot be tolerated um the the actions that he took after the play. I mean, if you if you pay attention to that, the guy's face down on the ground. Yep. You know, not only, yeah, it almost seems he, like he 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 pulled a rock like in the yeah in he WWE, did old school WWE. he put him into,
0: he put him into the concussion protocol too.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you know that's just that's so dangerous, man. When I saw it, I was just like, man, and, and I and I'm not a Gronkater at all. I love the guy. I, I've never yeah. personally met him, but I mean, like you said, it doesn't have a, a bad record rapport. But to do that, man, I mean, that could have went so wrong. You know, yeah. in that moment where. You know, a lot of regret could have been taken from that action, and so you know, I was actually surprised that it was only one game, just I was because too. of just because of how you know we talk about these receivers and how they're they're unprotected when they're going up for the ball, and you know they're defenseless and all that. I mean, that guy was defenseless. That's the right, definition of it right there. Yeah, clearly defenseless, and you know, maybe may, let's say you don't let's say you don't kill him, right? I mean, you can you could have broke his neck, you know, just from the way that he landed on him. Um, just a lot of different things could have went on. I'm glad that, you know, Cooler had prevailed. that he apologized, that Bill apologized for him. I'm actually glad that the player is physically okay. And, um, you know, thank goodness, because that would have been a black, black stain on the NFL. You know, to, now we're yeah. talking about guy, players being psychologically crazy and what makes a player do that or whatever. But I definitely think the reason for it was because of all the, the compounded frustration of uh, Gronkowski getting the physical play, you know, year in year out, game in game out, and just how he's treated as a player, just because of you know his physical gifts.
0: Yeah, and the the OPI on him earlier in the game was, I mean, they they played the even in fact real in real time, it was a bizarre penalty because it it didn't even look like he made contact. So, but I, I agree with you. I mean, there's no excuse for what he did. Um, I thought he was going to get two games, which would be reduced to one. Mm-hmm. I thought the NFL would do that in case the one game suspension was overturned, but uh, there's a precedent already with the Mike Evans play from earlier in the year, so
2: yeah, the, the fact that game. he appealed that was hilarious. I'm like, bro, yeah. be, be glad that you only got one.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that in the up in New England, there were a lot of the Patriot beat writers said he really had no business appealing that. I mean, I guess he, the union's going to do that anyway. I can speak to that as a labor lawyer. They're going to appeal that just because they have to. From right, I mean, you're obligated. Standpoint. Yeah, yeah,
2: I would, I would say from an obligation standpoint, you, you, you do that. Right. But I think anybody with common sense, if you've seen that play already. He you know, deserved you, a game. Yeah, you deserve at least Probably deserved game. two. He probably deserved two. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just not, it's not called for. It's, it shouldn't be tolerated. Is,
1: is there more uh, um, this year, you think, Ellis, that there's more injuries or more uh, physical play or uh, more than recent years? I mean, Mike and I were talking earlier in the season, a lot of injuries, a lot of uh uh, players going out with severe injuries. I'm, I, I'm just, I don't know if, if you're seeing it or if it's just my imagination, but it seems to be a lot more physical play this year, a lot more injuries, a lot more, uh, you know, egregious play. Is it my imagination or you, maybe you see it as well?
2: No, uh, uh, it's kind of strange. It's kind of like the law of sports where, you know, something doesn't appear until it's actually put into the universe mm-hmm. to where you don't, you know, recall the the, the previous five years of, five years prior to this to where you know injuries yeah they were there but it wasn't really the front line of the headlines of you know um, concussions and injuries and I'm worried about my life after football and you got guys retiring saying that you know I want to keep my body healthy so you know I just I personally feel that because it's been put out there as far as the dangers mm-hmm. and everything because it's always been there you know it's kind of like the under you know the thing that the taboo just you just didn't speak about it as yeah. much but, but I, be, I believe that because it's out there now you know there's something to that to where guys are subconsciously thinking about not getting injured not getting injured whatever and now you're injured or now yeah. you know something drastic happens so I don't I don't really know scientifically if I can put some sort of formula behind that or, or the reason why but it definitely is a spike and you know the from head trauma to you know whatever it is um my my guy from Chicago that uh that messed up his knee really they almost uh they, I don't even know Did they end up cutting his leg off um, no
0: I think they saved it, but yeah, I think his careers I mean, over,
2: yeah, his career's over I mean just things like that i mean you know i i, I can't recall hearing about those things when I was playing a prior to, but I just to your point, Jeff, I feel as if. There's way more out there that that's that's man pendulum swinging as far as a just paradigm shift of you know right, a guy yeah. is playing now his career is over right or something like that
0: two two other points on that and then we'll move on to the next um, story from that game um first what what do you think if anything bill said to either gronk or the team that's a very unpatriot like thing to do and then the second thing is the bill's players were very open after the game and even this week that Uh, They won't forget it, and they will, you know, that Gronk needs to look out on that um, Christmas Eve game. Your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, the baseball rule definitely comes in to where, you know, you hit my player, I want to hit yours.
0: Is that something that players talk about? I'm not asking you to reveal if you guys ever did that. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but is just generally speaking—
2: yeah, generally speaking, yeah. I mean, that's just an unwritten rule, you know. It, it's got whatever, whatever's going to happen. Best beware. Best be uh, alert that it's going to happen or try to happen, anyways. I think that the Patriots are going to try to address it, like I like I mentioned to you, and discuss things with the refs. The refs will already be privy to that to that uh, information. You know, it was, it was heard around the league, watched around the league, and you know they're going to try to protect their star player uh, with Bill. You know, I would say that it didn't. It doesn't build that type of guy um, where he's going to talk to you, but he's going to talk to you in a sense of, okay, we're not going to beat a dead horse. You know, it is what it is. Um, You know, not to be cliche with his words, but, you know, that was a dumb move. You know, but he's not going to bring you into the office and, you know, show you X amount of plays or show you that play over and over again. You know, he understands his players. He knows how they function and how they work. And, you know, they move on. You know, he's not going to continue to, like anything else, he's not. He's going to address it and be done with it. But you if think
0: it, he will say something or has said something to Rob?
2: Yeah, he's already said something to Rob, so, you know, you just can't do those types of things. If anything, he'll use it as a teaching lesson of how that affects the rest of the game to where if we do this in a more crucial situation, at a more crucial time, say, within the playoffs, how you just, you know, you have to keep a level head out there. But he will not specifically address that play within within uh, the team meeting. He's going to more of talk gen- generally around it as far as we have to be able to keep a level head no matter what's going on in the game because you know whatever uh, satisfaction, instant gratification you're getting out of this one moment, you're being very detrimental to the rest of the team and the rest of the game moving forward. And so I think those are, those are his, his moments of kind of sitting on high to where you see the difference between him and say, you know, a regular coach, is where he's able to take that information or take that situation and use it as a great teaching lesson moving forward because something like this will happen again. You know, not necessarily the incident itself, but everything that led up to the incident. So we talked about how, you know, Rob was frustrated with the calls and, you know, they're doing this or they're doing that. Like, you have to be able to keep a level head and it it really trues up to what type of coach Bill is. He's a mental coach. He's all about that mental pressure, and being able to kill the white noise and focus on what you're supposed to do and execute.
0: Okay, second big story from that game. First half, Patriots offense was um, struggling, at least struggling to put it in the end zone. Uh, Tom was seemed to be a little off as a play, where it looks like he has Gronkowski wide open, Dorsett wide open. I think he threw to Cooks, won a good throw. At least wasn't a good throw by Brady standards. It was third down. Brady comes off the sidelines. You can see McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, sort of throw his hands up. And you can clearly read his lips. He says he was wide open. I don't know if he's talking about Dorsett or Gronk. Mm-hmm. And Tom loses it. <laughs> and you can see and you can read Tom's lips. And he's yelling. And the words, fuck you, come right out of his mouth at Josh McDaniels. I've seen Brady do this before. He did it with Billy O'Brien in 2011. Yep. yep. Um, there's stories out there of Brady blow-ups. Um, you've told one at Beth L. Johnson in practice. I'm sure you have more. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. he's, it gets passed off as he's a competitor and he's intense. I know there's no question about the McDaniels-Brady relationship. They are very effusive with their praise of each other, and they've been together for a long, long time. But blow-ups like that on the sideline, do they happen Have you seen it with Tom before? This is sort of three questions at once, which is terrible lawyering on my part. But um, have you seen it with Tom before? Do they happen with players and coaches? And most importantly, anyone ever blow up a bill like that?
2: You see it all the time. I mean, you're putting guys in, in very, very high competitive pressure situations. And, you know, without it actually being tangible, there's a lot of money on the line, you know, A lot of status, a lot of notoriety, egos, whatever it is, you know, and and specifically with the Patriots to put in the time, the effort on a day to day, week in, week out basis from everybody, you know, coaching staff, players, um, upper management, whatever it is, you know, you're going to have, you know, chippiness within the organization. But I actually think it's healthy because iron sharpens iron and what you what you see on the sideline is guys that just love what they do and are very passionate about it you know with Tom I've seen those blow ups before in practice seen them on the sideline like we discussed whatever it is but all you're seeing whether it's from McDaniels whether it's from Tom whether it's the 53rd man on the roster you know there's a there's a hierarchy to this thing you know they're definitely the 53rd man on the roster is definitely not blowing up in McDaniels but <laughs> at the same time. Well, that's
0: kind of the point, right? I guess that's the question. Who can get away with it and
2: who can't? Who can get away with it and who can't? <laughs> so, you know, those two guys, I I've been on the plane many a times with those guys traveling and, you know, you see them back there joking, you see, you know, McDaniel's come back there with with his um, with his scouting sheet talking to Tom about certain things, whatever it is. They have a very intimate relationship. McDaniel is a, is a, actually a great guy, a great family man. Um, I was able I was fortunate enough to to talk to him on a very personal level uh, during plane rides or whatever it was when he would come back there and visit with us or visit, you know, with his offense and his quarterbacks. But those guys, you know, really respect one another When, when it comes to those types of things. You know, it's, it's you got to keep you got to keep in mind that they're in their work environment. This is where they work. at, sure. And so, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, you can appreciate this as a lawyer that if somebody drops the ball, you know, you're going to have that conversation with them. You know, hey, we need to do this better, whatever. And from an authoritative figure perspective, you expect them you know, to do that. But if you have somebody that comes into the room that you personally feel as if is not your superior, but they're on your same level, then you're going to have words with those, uh, you know, you're going to try to figure that thing out and however you do it. And so that's all you saw on the sideline. I wouldn't look too much into it. You know, they they talk about Tom blowing up on the sideline, and he's done this before, but there's been many blow-ups outside of Tom on that team throughout the league, you know, internally uh, with with, uh, coaches and players. But it never goes any further, from my personal perspective. You know, the winning teams know how to compartmentalize that and cut it off. You know, to where, hey, this is going to be discussed. This is what it is. Whoever's wrong, whoever's right, that doesn't matter. We just need to get it right right now. And yeah. so, the moving forward, what can happen, and what has never happened, or I've seen, is that 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 trends up to the head coach. I talked to you guys a couple of weeks ago. About you know the, the the referees being the oldest people and the weakest people probably you know on the arena in the arena or in the foot on the football field, but when they pull that flag out, best believe they have the most power on the field. And so when you talk about authoritative figures, when you talk about a, a hierarchy, a caste system, it, it stops at Bill. It, it definitely stops at Bill. I've never <laughs> seen anybody blow so up. no
0: blow ups at Bill. No,
2: no, absolutely not. No. Or
0: they're not there. I'm assuming if there were, they're not there anymore.
2: No, they're not there anymore. And 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 and. and you know, from what we talked about earlier with Bill and the way that he communicates to you is the same way that he expects you to communicate to him. And so I think he does a great job of, of understanding whom he's talking to and how he's talking to them. You know, maybe I've heard him raise his voice, you know, a, a decibel higher or two, but never gets out into a rant or anything. And I think, you know, when you, when you look go back and look at that, the only person that was actually yelling was... Uh, Tom, you know, McDaniels oh, yeah. was more calmly. And I think Bill kind of, you know, permeates that through his coaching staff over you know, when we communicate to these guys, because you got the, I mean, just imagine being in the workforce or being at your desk and you got a hundred thousand people either booing or yelling for you. You know, you got this guy yeah. saying this, this guy saying that something bad just happened. I don't know. Maybe that guy didn't bring pins to work today. And he was supposed to be the pin guy. And now everybody's talking about, he sucks. <laughs> and now you got people criticizing you internally. I mean, you have that that angst within you to blow up. And so what Bill and his coaching staff do an amazing job of is that I've never really seen anybody just yell, yell outside of O'Brien. That was actually surprising when he did that. But, you know, Bill does an amazing job of, you know, whether he's upset or whether he's disappointed or something needs to get corrected, he communicates that very, very well with with a monotone approach.
0: I was listening to. Um, well, first, I think the thing with the Brady McDaniel's thing. It was McDaniel's certainly seemed a little like he, you know, he threw his hands up and kind of did one of those. Well, he was why wi- he was wide open, kind of like I would say if to my friend in a bar.
2: It almost felt as if McDaniel <laughs> like, really? has told him time and time again about that certain play, or yeah, that he had, like maybe and, you know, quit staring this down. And and that's a great coach because I don't care how sure. how great Tom is, he can be coached.
0: Well. It's funny you said that. That That's exactly the point I was going to raise. I was listening to the Mike Lombardi podcast on The Ringer this morning. Lombardi was with the Patriots for a few years, a close associate of Bill Belichick, and, and he was talking about how Odell Beckham com- complained because the Brady blow-ups are treated differently than his blow-ups. And Lombardi said, no, 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 no. You're confused, Odell. You don't want to mm-hmm. be coached. Tom takes to coaching really well, and he told a story about um, you know, Bill in a meeting room. It, it might've been maybe when you were there, Alice, where, you know, Brady missed like a screen pass and Bill puts it up for the whole team and goes, I mean, come on guys, we can't even, we can't even complete a screen pass. Like Nobody what are we doing? Safe. Here? Sort nobody's of
2: nobody's safe in the meeting. Yeah. When, when he, when we, when we yeah, bring and, up those and, examples in the meeting that you're discussing, you know, exactly to what you said, if, if you're making mistakes on that field and it's, and it's you, you will be exposed as such, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's no punches held. And I think that's what keeps the level headedness of the Patriots um uh, top to bottom because anybody yeah. who is a player is vulnerable to being coached. You know, it it, it can't be a situation it, where that right. guy is put, you know, in a, in a circle by himself because then it, it, it creates uh stress amongst the team.
0: And Lombardi had said in his experience at the Patriots, Brady takes to coaching like a fish mm-hmm. to water. It's it's something that he craves and it's it's um and that the blow up probably was because of good coaching in a way i think he said that in a roundabout yeah, yeah.
2: way um, no i'm saying if you you know show me your greatest student and i'll show you a great teacher you know it works hand in hand to where tom has not gotten here to this level of success and still a uh, uh, man maybe better than previous years of success by not being able to take coaching you mean to tell me that he's gotten this far and, and not a bad you know word of not being able to be coached has not gotten out and so I would say to Odell, you know, take a step back, you know, Odell, because obviously with him, it's that great moment. Of, you see there, you see there, everybody puts him as the high and mighty uh, king of the world, as Tom and all that stuff. But even he does it. You know, take a step back, Odell. And, and yeah, it's different. very, very different, my man. Very different. He has six, I, you have none.
0: And and I certainly don't think Tom's doing it no, for attention. No. Um, and Odell might be. Let's transition a little bit, um, everybody. Ellis and I put out on Twitter this morning that if you had any questions for us, go ahead and tweet back at us. You can follow Ellis on Twitter, by the way, at Ellis Hobbs E L L I S H O B B S N. As I tell you every week, you can follow me on Twitter at Melkins three one one seven five. And lo and behold,
2: we got, we got, questions. got some questions. All right,
0: yeah. So let's start off with we're going to go transition a little college football here talk about your alma mater Emily Schmidt at I'm going to spell this oh, L Schmidt 3G E L S C H M I T T 3 G if you're listening everybody give her a follow she had two questions one for you one for me but we're going to answer them all well the first one only you can answer Ellis she wants to know are you going to see Iowa State I am in trying the Liberty to Bowl?
2: prepare for that uh, the last 3 years <laughs> 3 or 4 years I've been sidetracked because of bad weather here in Atlanta. Uh, actually, there was a – yeah, snow flurries. There snow was flurries. actually a Chicago fire at the airport trying to get to the Iowa-Iowa State game a few years back. And so, you know, I've just been derailed a couple different times. But Tennessee, um, that area, I believe three, four-hour drive maybe. And so if, if I don't make it an overnight thing, definitely trying to get there for the game um, just to see, you know, the guys play – uh, firsthand. Uh, they probably want me to talk to them as well. I can actually, um, you know, circle back up with some guys that I haven't seen in a while. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to trying to make that trip out there to the Liberty Bowl and support the Cyclones.
0: Nice. Uh, second question that Emily asked, which I'm going to put to all of us, you, Jeff, and myself. She asked about um, what were my thoughts, I'm going to say, what are our thoughts on college coaches, Contracts currently, and then the second part was what are the most extreme perks that I've seen? So um, I'll field it first and then I'll put it out to Jeff and to you, Ellis. Um, my thoughts on college coaches' contracts are this they are um, most college coaches, at least at public universities, tend to be the highest paid or one of the highest paid people in the entire state because they're public universities, so they're paid by the government which I think is interesting and just shows you the power of college football. Um, I don't think that that's outrageous because college football brings in a lot of money, but it segues me down to what um, what I've always thought, which was that um, college players should be getting paid if the college coaches are getting this much money. It looks like we lost Hello? Ellis, so we're just going to continue and see if he jumps back in. Jeff, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, I, I think they're, they're paid what they're worth. Um, I, don't, I don't know about college players getting paid. Um, that's a little bit extreme. Um, as far as the coaches, they're getting paid what they're worth. The big, the big campuses, the big universities can afford to pay these guys. I see nothing wrong with it. Um, but I don't know if I, your theory, I'm not sure I buy into getting the payers played as well. Um, Interesting. No, I, I'm, I'm fine with high-level high coaches getting what they're I – mean, I mean, why not? Uh, there's a tremendous demand for college football uh there's a tremendous amount of money going into the school uh coaches are worth what the you know what they get you know ask Jimbo Fisher is he worth 75 million I don't know but um he's one of the top coaches in the country he deserves to be paid as one of the best
0: yeah I think it's such big business it's um I think there's got to be a way to get the players involved in that um I'm not sure how you do it uh, but clearly, if these coaches are commanding salaries of, you know, $75 million, that's not all the coach. There's some players going on there, too. So um, yeah, I definitely think that some of that should trickle down. Uh, we still don't have Ellis. Not sure what happened. Looks like there's a technical difficulty. So we'll just keep going. Um, second part of Emily's question is, what are some of the most extensive perks we've ever seen in a college coach's contract? So I could speak to that a little bit. Um, in the Power Five conferences, Emily, um, I think it's pretty standard that the coaches get two cars as part nice. of their contract. I know, nice. Jeff. Do you have two cars at your firm? And we have Ellis back.
2: Yeah, I don't know what happened. Have, uh, That's okay. Is.
0: We were just dealing with the uh, college coaches contract question. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Ellis. the The question is, um, what are the what are our thoughts on college coaches contracts? My position was, the coaches. Um, contracts are, are great and that's that's fine they're the highest paid people usually in their state if it's a public university which shows the power of college football but some of that really should trickle down to i think the players it just shows you the business um, what do you think
2: yeah it's it's tough because you here you got you know even younger you know guys coming in 17 18 years old and You know, I've never been introduced to money for the most part, you know, where, and, you know, just being very transparent within the black community, you know, you're getting a lot of first, first generation success, you know, where guys necessarily didn't have a blueprint in front of them. And so the, the, the dilemma is you want to trickle down this money or you want to pay these, these kids, but you know, how do they handle it? Because. You think three years, four years from now, they get the money. They they're, they're not able to handle it. So how do they handle it even younger, but it is ridiculous the fact that these coaches get paid so much money at these universities. Meanwhile, personally speaking, a kid like myself that was in the off season during the summertime, I couldn't even buy lunch, you know, or buy a dinner for myself. And so yeah. it's, it's very frustrating, you know, throughout the summer to where you're telling me I can't make money. That that I not only can I not uh, receive money, but now I'm limited to the jobs I get part time, whatever it is. You know, I have family back at home who's depending on me. Not to take anything away from the scholarship that I've been blessed with, but, and once again, I'll speak uh, personally where I, I graduated with the B of A in uh, visual communication, fine arts, and my. My pencils, graphic designs, whatever it was, computer work, a lot of that stuff wasn't included into my scholarship. And so I actually had to find, you know, the Bell program, a lot of different other scholarships out there to to help me pay through, you know, my my sports, I mean, uh, for my degree. And so I would imagine... You know, I, I do have some sort of a level head, even at that age, to where if I was receiving compensation, a lot of that would have went towards my scholarship. But nevertheless, you know, with the, with this business world that we're in, you know, these coaches, you know, you put them in these these high caliber situations with these these sponsors, these boosters, and things. You know, you should expect, nonetheless, especially with you know such a competitive environment now for these national championships. I think it it, it goes beyond saying, but saving has definitely put a precedence on the urgency to win championships and win them consistently. And with any type of business people, which that's a lot of them that you're dealing with within this world collegially from, like I said, sponsors and boosters, they're going to pay top dollar to get who they believe can get those, get them to those conference and those national championships.
0: And that's, that's big revenue for the universities. Yes. Uh, Jeff, you have anything on that further?
1: No, I think said it all. Um, like I said, I, uh, I am a big uh, proponent of co- coaches getting what they want. But the players, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know um, if, if you know the money should have filtered down to them. I, I just think that college coaching is a big part and of uh, the university, the universities that can afford to pay these guys. Uh, they, ought to, they ought to pay them, and um, I'm fine with the salaries that these guys are commanding.
0: Second part of the question, most extreme perks, uh, which we were just starting to talk about when Ellis came back. Um, the perks that I know about um, in the Power Five conferences, I think it's pretty standard that the coaches get not one, but two cars. Because mm. everybody needs that in their contract. Of
2: course. Why not?
0: <laughs> and then this one's the – I think this is the best. Private, use of private planes, but, but not, not use for university business. No, 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 no. Personal. So um and, and that's that's done either two ways. One is an allowance. Like I think Urban Meyer has like 120 hours. Don't quote me on that exact amount. And then there was another coach I can't remember his name, Power 5, who has like a $40,000 allowance just for the plane. And they can use that in whatever format they want. I don't know nice, if you... nice. Yeah. We all went we all did it wrong.
2: Oh, yeah, it wrong. even you, Ellis. Yeah, clearly, completely <laughs> clearly. Um, you know what's so interesting about that 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 uh statement is how you know you have these fortune 500 companies businesses all over the world the ceos are taking advantage of you know stipends um different types of pencil funds whatever it is party funds that they have or you know petty cash but when it comes to sports it's like a it's almost like blasphemy like I can't believe they, they have that or do this or whatever. And it was funny because I had a, a professor when I was leaving to go to the NFL and I was actually sitting in the back of the class and the professor, um, was was teaching i was just kind of sitting there no pencils in my hand i think everybody else was taking notes or whatever but i'm like listen i'm about to leave so there's no need to do this like you know that parade <laughs> is over i just just signed the paperwork and you know i'll be on my merry way so anyway <laughs> I, I i i um politely waited to the end of the class and as i start to walk down he says oh yeah you're the guy that's supposed supposed to be going to the nfl so i guess he had read about it in the local paper or something like that but he tried to make a, a spectacle of it basically and so he says, "Oh, don't worry. I'll see you back in six months." Whoa. And so I was like, "Okay." I took offense to that. Well, I was like, "Well, the next time wow. somebody shows up to this test, the next time a hundred thousand people show up to one of your tests, let me know." And not only a uh, hundred thousand people, but a hundred thousand people that are willing to pay to watch kids take tests.
0: It's <laughs> a good response. So, yeah. So
2: every, so everybody kind of started to laugh and joke at him, and he and he felt you know that that angst or that anxiety when I said it, but that was my point. You were... You know, we, we complain about the, the amount of money that these coaches are getting and we complain about, you know, the amount of money that goes into sports. But look at the numbers. This is where this is where it's people the, are viewing. This demand. is their form of entertainment. Yeah. So how can you be upset when you're the one funding and energizing this thing?
0: Yeah. Any outrageous perks that you guys have heard of?
2: One recently, I just—I uh, actually, before they even got the question, Jim Harbaugh just got another annual two million dollar uh, premium uh, paid on his policy, and uh, for what? The, the University of Michigan. So I'm I'm looking at it right now to make sure I don't mess this up. No, no,
0: I mean I mean. I mean, when I say for what, I mean that sort of sarcastically because I would think at Michigan oh. they'd say you can't beat Ohio State, you don't deserve any perks.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> so, so great. So he's a great businessman. Kudos to his, I guess his his uh, his skillsmanship as far as being a, a lawyer himself, uh, meaning that uh, you know he he kind of worked that thing through. Not necessarily that he is a lawyer, but he worked that yeah. thing through prior to the Ohio State uh, debacles. That he's lost two years in a row. But yeah, you know, it says Harbaugh and the University agreed to an addendum to his initial UM contract on June third, signing for an additional two million per year to his initial base salary of a five million per year. And it is listed uh, in the form of a life insurance policy where the university will pay a premium of two million dollars per year to the insurer for the life of the current contract. Interesting. And so I tweeted out today. You know, outside of how you feel about that, it deserves a hand clap that the man leveraged his position, took it from a business perspective, and created legacy and something continuing beyond himself. Because Absolutely. not only did he did he not take the money, but he's providing for his family and his life, his, his livelihood. And I mean, in in all aspects of what we're trying to do, whether you know you're the janitor, you're the lawyer, you're the coach, you're trying to provide. And so for him to do that and be able to leverage that, you know, my hat's off with, my my hat off, with, my hat's off to him, because yeah. you know, just just the fact that you would think beyond that or whoever is in his is is in his circle would think on that level, but you know, those types of perks and then um, to kind of segue into the next question that you were talking about, the craziest perks that I've that I've heard of is you know daycare getting paid for, you know, um, private school. You know, where nice. now it's, it's not even going towards you; it's actually going to the people around you, and so uh, that's the craziest that I've heard. But I'm pretty sure there's more crazy stuff out there.
0: <laughs> Jeff, have you heard of anything?
2: Nah, nah,
1: I haven't, I haven't. But I bet you this this stuff that would blow our minds. I, Absolutely. I
2: yeah. Oh yeah, there always is. Yeah.
0: And so we'll take our and then the other Twitter question that we pulled was um, from Richard Starbird, and it's at Rich Starbird. Um, so everybody, make sure you give Rich Starbird a follow.
2: Starbeasy.
0: There you go. Um, he wanted to know who picks the game. He, he sort of asked – I'm summarizing his question. He wants to know who picks the game that a player will sit out when they have um, an on-field infraction and they're suspended midweek. Um, and so the answer to that, Rich, is that's that's governed by the CBA. It's, it's always the following game. So the NFL can't come in for Gronk, let's say, and go, well, you're out for the Pittsburgh game, not Miami. Um, the appeal that he that Gronk had has to be heard within 24 hours and a decision rendered in 24 hours. Um, Ellis, you ever have any experience in in the teams that you were on with um, suspensions from one week to the next due to playing issues?
2: No, well we didn't. I don't recall anybody uh, being suspended. You know, the most that I've seen is, is fines. I know me personally, I actually got fined for socks from the league. Yeah, I didn't have my socks pulled up, so I actually they took
0: how much did think, they
2: take? Uh, ten thousand. They took ten thousand dollars for, for socks? socks. What socks for socks? Oh man, are you yeah, are so kidding? It, really? Yeah, it was rough. Ten yeah, grand. And I was a rookie. Yeah, and I was. I was. I was a rookie too. So that was rough. And then, how does and that?
0: I, how does that work? You get a letter and it says you owe ten thousand dollars.
2: Yeah, you have. A, so you have an official dress guy, and I don't know his official title, but he's a dress guy um that stands on the sideline and watches everybody warm up and well keep in mind now this is the old regime so th- now i see everybody out there with weird cleats on and everything so i don't even know how they well, that's a new now. rule now new yeah. rule yes yeah, so I, I think you know my service my cleats or something my my purpose my cleats but anyways when you don't come out properly dressed which you expect everybody not to because it's warm-ups they just notate it and then they give it to your equipment manager. And so when you go back in prior to the game and you're lacing up and you're strapping everything on tight, getting ready for the actual game, that equipment manager is communicating to you all of the infractions that you viol- – pretty much all your violations prior to going back on the field so that now you clearly know and understand what you're not in compliance with. And so it's your job and your responsibility to hear those and correct them prior to coming back on the field. You have some guys uh, from, a dress, from, a, from a dress code standpoint that will um, listen, and you have other guys that say, you know what, screw it, I'll just do whatever. Then from there, once you go back onto the field, the dress guy is the one that pretty much sets that bar to say, okay, well, I'm not going to mess with him or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Or you got guys like the one I had where, you know, he, he said it, he stated it, it didn't get corrected, boom, you know, you get the fine. Or whatever, so you know it's it's very arbitrary um with those things. you know the funny thing about it is is that the guys that normally are in those positions are the ones that were committing those uh, uh infractions themselves when they were playing, you know, so it's it's just funny how you know once the role reverses, they just kind of change their whole perspective on it. I don't know.
1: they should find the dress guy,
2: yeah, exactly, that's <laughs> what I was saying,
0: yeah that's uh ten thousand dollars for socks, that's wow, sweet, man. Yes, that is sucks. that is steep well, all right everybody I don't remember, we don't have any more, we don't have any more Twitter questions um, and that about covers this segment and um, covers our sh- covers our show for the night um, does anybody have anything else for the audience no going once twice
2: no man I uh, uh, I, I think keep it going I, yeah. I appreciate the the questions I think we all do yeah. as a group. And uh, you know it, it just makes it better. Makes remember, it better.
0: And remember, everybody, um, go ahead and you can go to Ellis Hobbs' Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. You can also track the show on Instagram at Melkins One, our Facebook page at JM Sports Podcast. You can email us JM Podcast at Gmail um, let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Um, as always, we appreciate um, your time, Ellis. We know that this takes away from your family. And, uh, you know, we actually record this, everybody, at like 11 o'clock at night. So while the Hobbs household is asleep, Ellis is gracious enough to, uh, to give us our time. And, and, and same thing for Jeff. Um, uh, you know, he has a family as well. All I have is a dog. So I can record any time. <laughs> <laughs> got a great weekend of sports coming up, everybody. Uh Patriots Dolphins Monday night. Make sure you're paying attention. Eli Manning, Jeff, back for the Giants.
1: Starting. Back starting again. Back
0: for the Giants. So the look, let, let look the streak for an upset.
1: Con- look for an upset against those cowboys.
0: Let the, let the streak continue.
2: You know what? Maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist. But I personally feel McAdoo tried to sabotage that guy. Like, I, f- <laughs> I feel like he wanted to go out on a whim and say, you know what? I was the guy that ended that. I was thinking about that after we talked about it. Man. And I was like, that bastard. I hope you're wrong, man. But Oh, man. That's, but it is be so wrong, wrong if he oh, did that.
1: Wow. You yeah
2: imagine. I feel like he, I know I'm going to get fired so screw it I want to wow. I want to leave a black stain on this yeah
1: it could be I mean who knows man jeez I'm, uh, I'm unbelievable. unbelievable that's an I was,
2: I was. yeah I was working out and thing I and I heard McAdoo being fired and I was like this guy did that on purpose oh, unbelievable
0: wow. that's, a, that's an interesting theory well we'll let everybody ponder the conspiracy theory <laughs> on McAdoo and the Giants uh, great sports weekend coming up everybody make sure that you uh, like I said hit us up on Twitter let us know what you like what you don't like um Have a great week, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. Take care, everybody.